If you're having SPAC dreams and thinking about stock memes, dreaming Bitcoin dreams every night, it seems, you're one of us. Get off the bus. Ride this train, no matter how insane. We give you more for less on the Investopedia Express. One day I'll grow up and stop trying to drop rhymes, but today is not that day. So I apologize in advance to my listeners and to my family. But we have a lot of ground to cover and some very special guests ahead, including Paul Hickey of the Bespoke Investment Group and Cassius Cuvé, the young MC behind SPAC Dream, the rap track and video that's burning up the internet. So let's get busy. It's been a noisy start to the year for nearly every asset class, but who would have predicted that Bitcoin would be up 77% in just six weeks after a blistering 2020? Last week, BlackRock admitted to dabbling in Bitcoin and the first North American Bitcoin ETFs launched in Canada. Bitcoin's market cap topped $1 trillion last week, and everywhere you look in crypto land, there are little raging bulls running full speed ahead. Altcoins like Ripple, Ethereum, and Litecoin are all up over 100% this year. How long can it last? In the real economy, U.S. consumers continue to show their resilience. Retail sales surged in January after dipping in December as we bought more things for our homes, and we bought more homes. The stimulus payments that went out as part of the $900 billion relief package helped with that. Consumer debt also climbed in January as we binged on cheap money via low interest rates. The K-shaped recovery is everywhere as Americans with good credit, equity, and investable assets who've been able to work from home have been able to stay financially resilient and even grow their wealth amid the pandemic. We'll get more readings on the health of the consumer this week when the Consumer Confidence and Sentiment Indexes are released. The Biden administration's $1.9 trillion spending bill goes to the House this week for a vote where it is likely to pass, but it will face hurdles in the Senate where Democrats can't afford to lose a single member of their party thanks to a 50-50 split in the chamber. Already, two Democratic senators have voiced opposition to one element of the plan. That's raising the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. And the last big wave of earnings reports is rolling through this week with results coming from companies including Cruise Line Royal Caribbean Group, Payment Processor Square, Chipmaker NVIDIA, Biotech firm Moderna, and commercial spaceflight startup Virgin Galactic. Home improvement retailers, including Home Depot, Lowe's, and Wayfair, also report results, and they have been the big beneficiaries of that retail spending we were talking about earlier. And the chicken sandwich wars are back, and McDonald's is bringing the fight. It's launching three new crispy chicken offerings, the original, the spicy, and the deluxe, as it goes wing-to-wing with Popeyes, who laid down the gauntlet in 2019 with its crazy popular fried chicken sandwich. That swept the leg of Chick-fil-A, which thought it ruled the coop. Burger King and Boston Market are flying around in there as well, but they look a bit peckish. It's getting foul in here, so let's move on. What are investors supposed to make of this phenomenon of rising asset prices across countries, sectors, and securities all at the same time? Some call it a bubble. Some call it a reflation reaction. Some call it the natural order of things given what happened to global economies amid the pandemic and the financial response to it. But the recovery is now pretty clear, yet the path forward for stocks is not. When I need clarity, I get it from research that Paul Hickey and his team at Bespoke Investment Group put out every day, and I'm delighted to welcome Paul to the Express. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me. Love uh, Investopedia, and it's a great site, and it's a great uh, resource for uh, investors of uh, all levels. Thanks so much. Your your recent note, I read it this morning, you, you would talk about the dangers of cruise control for investors. What should we worry about when nearly everything is working, Paul, when you look at what's happening across asset prices? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the ways to look at the market is if you can't find anything wrong with the market, you're not looking hard enough. A lot of things are going well in the market right now, but there's always things to worry about. And I think when you get to a point where you can't find anything to worry about in the market, that's the time when you should really hunker down and rein in risk. Right now, there's a lot going good in the market and there's a number of things that should be concerning to any rational investor. But I think what you're talking about here is it's a tide lifting all boats that we're seeing in the markets right now. And that's just a function of so much liquidity out there in the markets. And I think the old adage goes, don't fight the Fed. And the Fed is waging a major war here and they're giving it everything they've gotten to go against all that flood of liquidity, I think is um, is going against the tide and tough to do. Right. We learned our lessons in 2008 and 2009. You just had to back up the truck because the Fed did. We did learn that lesson then. And they've put even more liquidity into the system this time for the dip in the economy that was so quick. And we responded so quickly out of it. Is over-optimism itself a cause for concern? Just the fact that if you look at all indicators, sentiment indicators, institutional investors, individual investors, surveys that we do with our own readers, wherever you look, you feel that intense greed. That's always a contrarian indicator, but doesn't mean that it has to be this time. Yeah, I think when you have this function of sentiment here, all the function, what we were talking about in our weekend report this weekend is that most sentiment measures, like you just said, are very optimistic. The wall of worry is not very intimidating at this point because there's a lot of optimism out there. Ultimately, you'd prefer there to be more pessimism in the market, but optimism and this level of optimism can go on for months, if not years. I mean, the period of the 90s was not just a couple of months of optimism. It was high positive sentiment on the part of investors for years. It was 1996 when Greenspan was talking about irrational exuberance, and we went another three years from there. Janet Yellen, when she had her famous discussion about biotechs being frothy, um, you know, that didn't mark a top for the market either. So I think, yes, investors are optimistic and there is definitely pockets of froth out there. But at the same time, it's not those areas like we talk about SPACs. It's not a dominating the market at this point. It makes a lot of headlines, but it's not necessarily a picking up the entire market. It's not like 19, the late 90s, where we saw the largest stocks in the market trading for an average multiple of 70, 80 times earnings. Right. Well, we're going to get into SPACs much later in the show. You learned to follow money flow, having sort of learned at the, at the heels of the legendary Laszlo Barini. You follow it uh, in your notes. It's so much fun to read for those of us who like to watch the inner market play. What are you seeing now in terms of the big asset flows? We've seen so much money flowing into equities over the past few weeks, record amounts, but it's also flowing to other places. What is that telling you about what's going on in terms of investor sentiment and behavior? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think at this point, for a long time, we've been talking about the fact that low interest rates make treasuries pretty unattractive in the market as an investment. And this year, it seems investors are coming to that conclusion. Long-term treasuries have just posted horrendous returns to start the year. And if you're in a 60-40 portfolio, balanced portfolio, it's really been dragging you down so far this year. Investors are going into areas of the market where they can be compensated, where there's some yield. We're talking about last week, everybody was so worried about you know spiking interest rates. We're at 1.3 on the 10-year treasury. When you can get the S&P 500 yielding 1.5%, I think we would take the S&P 500 just about any day of the week in that respect. So I think you, you have some room where interest rates can go up here and can go higher, and it wouldn't be necessarily a problem for the market. That being said, all else equal, higher interest rates are negative, but we're at such low levels. What people forget is that 
Since 2009, more than 100% of the equity market's returns have come during periods when rates were rising rather than falling. So it's just we're at such low levels, these levels of interest rates are more indicative of but as they're rising, people coming out of the bunker, so to speak. So I think in that respect, we could see rates go higher without having a major impact on the market here. Right. And the inflation concerns that everybody seems to have, and you can see around commodity prices and a lot of other areas, do not seem to be affecting equity returns right now, although it seems to be this thing looming on the horizon. How much of a concern is it? Is it one of the things that's going to be sort of headwinds for the stock market overall going through 2021? I think it's two factors. We're looking at inflation is, is a worry. One of the reasons inflation is a typically a big worry is because it means that the Fed's going to become more aggressive and hike rates. Whatever you want to say about the Fed, they have come out and said the latest statement in the minutes last week, they were talking about that current conditions warrant at least the pace of asset purchases that now going forward. So if anything, they're not saying they're going to remove accommodation. If anything, their statements are saying they're looking to add more accommodation. We're nearly a year out from really the beginning of the pandemic, from hearing those reports in, in the United States. Tom Hanks, uh, getting it in Australia. But you know, as you note in your research note this morning, a year out, who would have thought that we would have gone through all of this? The S&P 500 would be up some you know, 60%. Other asset classes have been exploding higher throughout the recovery. For an individual investor who's just trying to keep, keep it up between you know, the ditches on the highway and, and maintain you know, rationality in their portfolio, but also take advantage of the environment we're in. How do you advise folks right now in terms of well, how, do, how do we even position ourselves or do we reposition ourselves or, or just stay kind of where we've been because it's been working? I think as far as the market overall is concerned, last week, Walmart ended earnings season. And there's a quote, famous quote by Sam Walton that high expectations are the key to everything. When expectations are high, forward returns are probably going to be lower. And when expectations are, are low, forward returns are going to be higher. The last March expectations were low. It was easy for the market to go up. Expectations are higher now. So it's going to be harder for the market to keep moving, to keep rallying here. But again, it, that doesn't mean it has to go down. 2020 was a great lesson in, in extremes. And, and sort of coming out of that has been a great lesson in watching the investor behavior and asset classes. And you guys do such a great job at the Bespoke Investment Group, sort of putting that in perspective every day with your notes and your tweets. I'm such a big fan and follower. And folks, you can follow them on Twitter at Bespoke Investment. And, and Paul, you're a great note every day. I really appreciate it. And thanks for coming on The Express. Great. Thanks for having me, Cal. It was good talking to you. flipping it, I'm tripping, and I don't know what to say. Because on the show, we've got Cassius Cuvee, the SPAC rapper who threw a beat behind Wall Street, dropped his rhyme like Eck used to throw the heat. Now he's blowing up on TV, making it rain on CNBC, hanging out with my homegirl Melissa Lee, and he makes it look so damn easy. So tell me, Cassius, now that you found some fame, are you going to stay in the rap game or just chase SPACs and try to make it rain? Because you got skills that really impress. Thanks for bringing them on the Investopedia Express. Hey, hey, you definitely using that on the podcast. I don't know. I think I just embarrassed myself and killed my career at the same time. But it's good to have you on the show. Welcome, Cassius Cuvee, to the Investopedia Express. Man, happy to be here. Happy to be here, Caleb. Well, folks, if you don't know Cassius and his Rhymes Back Dream and the music video, Google it, search it up on Instagram, check it out on Twitter. It's the best thing to happen in business news in years for rap heads like me. Cassius, what was the inspiration for the song? Well, you know, I've always been an artist. And, um, you know, as an artist, you kind of reflect, at least for me, you kind of reflect what's going on in your real life, you know, and 
you know, we've been locked down from COVID and everything like that. And I, you know, I've been watching CBC all day and, and, and Bloomberg and also um, on Twitter. And so, you know, I was new to SPACs, you know, I started getting serious about investing in probably in May, but I didn't even know about SPAC. I knew about DraftKings and then kind of how I say in the song, you know, that was the first SPAC that I was involved in. But even then I didn't know what a SPAC was. But after that is when I started looking into it. My man Randy first told me DraftKings would go public. It's merging with a SPAC and the market gon' love it. I'm like a SPAC, what the hell's that? You get in on the ground flow. It paid big, so I searched and then I found more. And so once I, I kind of realized what it was, like, for example, I'm in the music industry, right? And I knew that Warner Music Group was going to go IPO. But, like, you can't get in on an IPO on day one. They, you know, they, on TV, they're talking about how much it, it ran up on the first day. And I'm... I'm pushing the button and nothing is happening. Yeah. Individual investors can't get in that door unless they have special friends at Warner Music. But if you don't, you got to find another way. Right. And so kind of even before I knew it, Specs, where I was trying to like, how can we get in? I was doing Google searches. Like, how can you get in on a company you believe in before it gets ran up on day one like that? And so Specs were kind of naturally the perfect thing once I understood what they were. And I kind of got into the community on Twitter and started talking to a lot of the people and follow some folks. And then Venture Investor, Adventure Investor, he basically kind of took the time to show me some real details about how they work. And I remember he was the first person to kind of give me some of the detailed information on how warrants worked, that kind of stuff. And I got really into SPACs more after that, really, probably really until not till like September. So now I kind of have a much better handle on it. So what inspired me to make the song is, you know, I knew the community, you know, I'm, I'm like a part of it. I didn't have a lot of followers or anything. A lot of these guys who have big accounts, but they would talk to me, you know, and we'd share information. And uh, it, it really is, like I say in the first line, you know, we're sick of IPOs day one locking us out. And there's a lot of uncertainty. Obviously, you don't know when the SPAC is going to reach an announcement and that kind of stuff. But one way of looking at it is from a perspective of a new retail investor was like, it's a relatively safe bet as if it were a bank account. You can just put some money there, park it there, see what happens while they're down. And kind of wait it out. I like that idea. I felt safer doing that. I had another portion of my portfolio with a little bit higher risk, but that was a place that you could put some money and, and kind of wait and see what happened. Our regular listeners know because it was our term of the week a few weeks ago, those special purpose acquisition companies, those blank check companies, right? They are built to acquire other companies. They go public so they can acquire other companies. And when they do, you can buy stock in the new company like a DraftKings or you can stick with the SPAC. And it's a newer way to access the market, just like direct listings. The old IPO model is still going to exist, but it's been challenged a lot. It's so interesting that you tapped into it and you tapped into it at a time where individual investors and retail investors are really making some noise in the market and making themselves heard and making themselves heard on communities? Are you a part of the, the Wall Street Bets or any other communities where you're circulating information, talking about trades and ideas like that? I'm not on Wall Street Bets per se, but like certain things like that. There's some groups. I joined a bunch of groups. I'm not even fully active on all of them. I just kind of recently joined a bunch of groups. But really, it was kind of like just Twitter, to be honest with you. I kind of just follow a lot of the Twitter accounts and we make comments on you know different our different positions and a lot of specs is it's, it's kind of fun too because a lot of it's speculation rumors, right? You don't know who they're going to go after. So some folks are saying, "Well, this person has a relationship with so and so because they're on the board of this company and they did a deal with them before on this, and maybe they'll have this." But this person, it's kind of fun, you know. The research is kind of like Clue or, or some sort of who done it kind of, you know, trying to figure out. What, and then you get to find out eventually. You're going to find out if you're right or wrong, or if you're in the top three or or what it was. So there's a little bit of fun aspect to it. And again, as an artist. Why not? Let's have some fun while we do this, you know? So, you know, that's what made me kind of inspired to write the song. And I also wanted to do the songs. I knew I could do it right. And I wanted to do it before someone else did it wrong. I'm going to tell you the truth on that. 
Yeah, you nailed it. And you nailed the moment, too, which is great. And, and I love uh, your, your crew in the song. And it's a good old school rap video. It really has such good flavor to it. How do you invest? And how did you learn to invest? How did you come into this game? And what have been sort of the tools? Because a lot of people are going to see you and go, I want to do what he's doing, too. And I want to start to get into the game. How did you approach it? And how are you sort of doing it now actively? My approach was I always kind of had an investment mind. Like I knew key to my financial future was to be an investor. I didn't really know. I didn't have like a mentor or somebody really teach me. And just a quick side thing, which is part of the reason why finance education and stuff and members of my community, especially members in the minority community and women as well. I'm not a financial advisor by any terms, means or anything like that. I like the idea of the fact that I can bring awareness to the fact that this exists. I mean, everyone always, we always kind of knew it exists, but now they really have it. So it's in the palm of your hand. And so I didn't really have any specific training, I kind of just figured it out on my own. And like I say, what, what really kind of was the catalyst for me learning more and getting more hands-on was developing relationships on Twitter and just and, and talking to people and some more DMs, but some you're just out in the open, just discussing it, asking questions. And, and basically I have people who will like send me an SEC report and say, this is how you read it. You know, so you get a link and they, they know they're actually educating you on this. And by the way, not everybody on there is a retail investor who's brand new like me. These are guys been doing it 20, 30 years. One guy's like, I used to write these things. Once you start to read that, once you start to get into it, like you say, it's like unpacking a mystery. It's like understanding a story and understanding the story of these companies, which is why we find it so fascinating. And behind the music and the passion for you, it feels like there's a commitment to financial education like us, right? There's a lot of new investors. Like I said, they're going to be watching you, listening to your picks. It's a lot of responsibility. Not a problem when things are going well on the way up, but... But how important is it to you for people to really understand this, especially the communities where you come from? I know you're from Oakland. A lot of folks there could really use financial literacy like they can across the country. How important is financial education and literacy to what you're doing, too? You know, it's honestly, it was a passion of mine even before this. I, I swear. I, in my brain, was like, you know, if I ever you know, won the lottery or something, I would basically, what kind of foundation would you write? If you're going to have a charity or something, there's a million things you could you could do. And I kind of am, am one of those people where... I don't necessarily like the idea of trying to force somebody to do something they're not interested in or they don't want to do. But I think there's enough folks who would, if given an opportunity to want to understand about their financial futures and their financial prudence, they did not teach us this in school at all. I would want to set up some kind of a way where they would have a means for it if they were, in fact, interested in figuring this out. And so now it's kind of like the perfect opportunity. Like I really am going to, you know, when I say that my philanthropy is tied to my success as an artist, you know, I am going to donate a dollar to charity for every uh, YouTube subscriber I get at the end of 2021. You know, I'm going, I'm calling the million dollar charity challenge. We're going to see how many subscribers I can get. I will happily donate a million dollars if I get a million followers, a million subscribers on YouTube, because that awareness is invaluable. You know, it, it just, it really is for, uh, you know, not just an individual, but for a community. I have so many friends now. As we sit around, we were in the studio last night, they're asking me questions about stocks and stuff. And they kind of just got into it. Even friends who are in the video didn't even know. They know so much more in two weeks, you know, than three weeks from when I filmed the video till today. It's been three weeks. You know what I mean? It's been less than three weeks from the, it was a rush job on that video, by the way. But I definitely have a passion for that education because some people know it and they don't want to be involved. That's totally fine with me. I want them to have the option to want to know where do I go? How do I do it? You know? And I just, it just kind of show them the door. And it's not just about that quick trade to make the quick buck. We're talking about investing for the long term. You, you sound like you were a long term investor. You got those diamond hands, as you say in the video. Obviously, you have to be responsible to your own strategy, your own risk. And I think that's something you learn 
too, as a, as a new investor to the game. Of all the spaces that you like in this SPAC game, you, you mentioned EV so many times in the song, electric vehicle space, it's been so hot. It's been such a hot year for almost anything, really. What are you looking at? What do you like? What, what sort of excites you? And, and where are you uh, sort of focusing on some of your investing energy these days? I'm very diversified. And if I told you my whole portfolio, you'd probably hit me over the head and tell me why you have so many stocks. But aside from that, th- this morning, actually, I posted on Twitter, just the SPACs that I'm in. Okay. It doesn't fit on one tweet. Okay. So there's a lot, there's a lot of SPACs. tweet thread on your SPAC holdings. I love that. Basically. And I put screenshots of like the list, you know, and that's just the SPACs, you know, that's not even all my other stuff, but I'm definitely technology, you know, oriented, but I do believe that sustainable energy. I don't know if it's an electric vehicle company. I don't know if it's a recycling company. You know, I don't know if it's a, some sort of a company that gets, you know, rare earth minerals, but I don't know which one will be the one that'll be around 25 years from now, but I can tell you this. I wish that I was an investor on the day that Amazon IPO'd. And if I bought five stocks that day and Amazon was one of them, maybe the other four don't exist, but I definitely would be happy that 20% of my money went into Amazon, you know? So I think that the general idea that so many of these companies, they kind of happen to be going through SPACs. Maybe it's coincidence, maybe it's not, but so many of them are future forward thinking as far as, saving the planet, you know, or at least not making it worse, hopefully, they don't have all the answers yet. We don't know which one is going to be the one that is going to change the world, but I think one of them is. And so I'm very diversified in a lot of, not just EVs, like I said, sustainable energy, ESG, any kind of company that is really forward thinking. And like you say, it's never been easier to access these companies, whether through fractional shares, you do it on the palm of your hand with your trading app, your investing app. You don't have to buy the whole share. You can buy pieces of it. You can buy ETFs. You can buy into the SPAC. So many ways to access it. So what are you working on next after SPAC Dream, which is just really catching fire and burning up the internet? Something's got to come right behind that. I know for artists like you, you're always got something cooking. What's up? You know, I've got some older songs that I'm going to put out. Just, you know, I'm I'm just going to get them out to the world. I don't like sitting on finished music. But a song that we were working on last night, you'll see, I mean, it, I, I really am a rap artist and a hip hop artist, or I have some like auto-tune singing and stuff like that, but I'm always going to be an artist first, but it kind of, this song, I think it's going to be, aware. You'll, you'll see, I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't just, right, well, you, you got to come back on the express and drop a few bars when, when that comes out, but do you have any bars you could drop for our, our listeners now? We got them all over the world who would love to hear you drop a little freestyle if you got anything on you. Well, just, you know, I like to quote my old song because uh, I did it to Mel last night, but there was a little bit of technical difficulties. But uh, one of my old songs called Fire, it goes, it just came out last year. It goes, everybody pocket watching nowadays. I'm trying to get paid about a hundred ways. Young ballers in the game and we run in place. Only rolling up the finest when we gonna blaze. <laughs> Lovely. That's going to be sweet. I can't wait to hear that when it comes back out again. That one's already out. That one's already called F-I-R-E. All right. We'll look for it for sure. And folks, so easy to to find, to follow Cassius. On, he's on Instagram. He's on Twitter. He's got a great YouTube channel. And if you haven't heard Spectrum, you got to go find that immediately. One more thing too. You know, I'm an artist in general. And so I did do a, a, a real quick, a, like a stock tweet that hit me up about maybe doing some content. And I just was like, okay, I didn't know what to think of. And the very next day, I, well, the, that night, I thought of something I delivered to him the next day. I made a little, and for all the fans that coming to America out there, I, I don't know why it just came to me. I came up with this idea of a coming to America skit, the barbershop one, it's a parody, but instead of arguing over who's the best boxer, they're arguing over what's the best spec. 
And so I just whipped it together real rough, real quick. And I was like, you know what, man, I'm, we're going to just put it on out there to the world. Fans of coming to America, everyone who likes that movie has said they liked it. Maybe a little nostalgia, but maybe it's, if you get specs, it's even funnier. That's great. We'll, we'll definitely check that out. And that's one of the great rewatchable movies. One of the great movies, even for my generation. I love that you love it too. Cassius Cuvée, so good to have you on the Investopedia Express. We're going to have you back and the best to you and your team and keep doing the, keep doing that good work because I think you're helping to educate folks in, in the process. I do awareness for sure, you know, and then, uh, you know, you kind of lead them and they can educate themselves. Ultimately, that's what I'm trying to do is give them the tools or point them to the tools at least, you know. Thanks for being with us. Right, thanks a lot, Caleb. It's terminology time, time for us to get smart with the investing term we need to know this week. This week's term comes to us courtesy of Freddie, who will be getting socked up real soon. Freddie suggests payment for order flow, which is oh so timely, given the scrutiny that Robinhood is facing, given the way it and other online brokers actually make money on those free trades. But what is payment for order flow? According to Investopedia, payment for order flow is the compensation and benefit a brokerage firm receives for directing orders to different parties for trade execution. The brokerage firm receives a small payment, usually fractions of a penny per share, as compensation for directing the order to a particular market maker. For options trades, the market is dominated by market makers since each optionable stock could have thousands of possible contracts in existence. Payment for order flow is ubiquitous for options and averages less than about 50 cents per contract traded. Your brokerage firm is required by the SEC to inform you if it receives payment for sending your orders to specific parties. It must do so when you first open your account as well as on an annual basis. Your broker also must disclose every order in which it receives payment. Brokerage customers can request payment data from their brokers on specific transactions, though the response usually takes weeks. And to be honest, most customers really don't care. But when your online broker tells you your trading is free, you, my friend, are the product. P.S. Last week's terminology winner was Francesca from Somerville, Massachusetts. She'll be getting her Investopedia socks in the mail real soon. Well, in honor of Black History Month, we'll let the great Oprah Winfrey take us out this week with her words of wisdom. Just know this for sure. There is not one thing that has ever happened to you. Not one experience, not one encounter, not one crisis, not one joyful thing that hasn't happened just to make you better and help you rise. And let's all rise up this week and lend a hand to those who need a little help getting up there with us. Special thanks to our guest, Paul Hickey of the Bespoke Investment Group and to Cassius Cuvée. Oakland is in the house and here's Mags Leon to take us home. We'll talk to you next week. Wow.